Hello, everybody. This is the Never Heard of a Podcast. This is Sean Harwell, and this is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. I'm joined, of course, by Craig Moorhead. Craig, how are you? I'm doing all right, Sean. Doing okay. Uh, all, all things considered. Uh, we right now have a friend of ours is confirmed COVID-19 positive. Yikes. So we are, I believe we're about a, a week into that right now. So we're we're obviously uh, sending good thoughts uh, his way, and we're looking to help out any way we can. But yeah, it's it's interesting. That's uh, first first confirmed for us. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing very well by comparison. Obviously, um, yeah, that's tough, and I will have fingers crossed for your friend. Obviously, this will be dropping a couple of days after Memorial Day, so happy Memorial Day, folks, to those happy Memorial Day. Yeah, who uh, who are affected by such a thing. My family is uh, is no exception. So anyway, Craig, yeah, holidays behind us, holidays aside, illnesses aside, let's switch to more positive things. Why don't you tell people where they can come say hello if they would like to do so, and I hope they will. I will do that. Uh, if you guys would like to keep in touch with us somehow, you can check us out on Twitter, at Never Podcast. Facebook, we're also at Never Podcast. Uh, Instagram, we are N-H-O-I-T Podcast. That's N-H. O-I-T podcast, N as in Nancy, H as in hair, O as in, oh boy, I as in, I am doing this for too long, and T, <laughs> T as in, it's terrific that that's over, podcast. You can find... You committed you can, to that. Well. I sure did. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I felt like backing out of it would have been the coward's way out. Yeah. Uh, you can find the actual podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. If you have another uh, outlet that you found us on, please let us know. Uh, we'll clean it up. We'll come clean it up immediately. But anywhere you can subscribe and leave a review, please do, because it really uh, helps people find this podcast, and uh, that would be super duper swell. And speaking of swelling, Sean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. I know. I know. I, I, I go full force into the segues without really knowing what's on the other side of it. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have stopped you because now I'm like, are you talking about my ego? Or are you going to talk about? Yeah. My, I, yeah. I'm not. I wasn't. Body parts. I'm the last what? person yeah. who knows, to be honest with you. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of the last thing I know, what I don't know, what you've been watching since the last time we talked. Craig, I'm glad you asked. I got a lot done in front of a screen in the past weeks that we have not spoken. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll walk you through a couple of them here. You're going to like these first two, I think, because you suggested them. Oh. Uh, we'll start with Hereditary, the uh, yeah. 2018 yeah horror film from Ari Aster. I really liked it, Craig. I'm not going to lie. There's... Um, you know, there's some imagery in that that I, I probably wish I can forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and unsee a little bit, but that's mm -hmm. the mark of a good horror film, right? Sure is. Uh, it stuck with me for sure. I, very, very impressed by the style of this and some of the uh, uh, editing in particular yeah. I noticed and liked. Tony Collette, amazing. I really found myself thinking how astounded I am that she hasn't had like her breaking bad like you know it feels absolutely and i, I hate to say that it, it feels like it's going to happen on tv versus in the movies sure even though she's a terrific film actress 
And uh, I would love to just see her like win an Oscar, but I don't know. Like she needs that that one character that's just like yes, like that's the immediate thing you think of with Tony Collette. She's so good. Well, I can say, did you ever watch United States of Terra? I did not, because that is, I don't know. I, I guess it does predate like the the streaming boom and all this stuff. But I mean, yeah, because I think I believe it was a Showtime show. It was. But I mean, to me, that that is like my touchstone for her. It's like, okay, that is, I mean, she's playing like five or six different characters, essentially. Oh, that's right. And it was yeah. super interesting. Allison Brie came out of there and she's great on that as well. Not Allison Brie. Hold on one second. Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Thank hey. you so much. Brie Larson, Allison Brie Larson. She came out of there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought it was a terrific show. Some Something you might want to check out. But yeah, it, it wasn't like a huge tectonic shift with yeah. that show and and she uh yeah man she uh she certainly do her uh her breaking bad i agree yeah i don't know what I, i've never had showtime i've never subscribed to that in my life yeah and um yeah i know i always feel like you know there's things i miss out on but i also feel like they don't i don't know they don't quite reach the cultural zeitgeist the way that like HBO stuff does for whatever reason. I don't know. Poor Showtime. Yeah. I'd be yeah, I mean, look, they got a lot of great stuff, obviously. For sure. Anyway, we'll keep moving. Uh the court jester we sat down and watched. Nice. Yeah, 1955 uh Danny Kay movie there. I I found myself laughing quite a bit. Yeah. God almighty. Do you remember the sequence there where they're basically knighting him and they do that? Mm-hmm. Cho- choreographed thing where the night they're like they're marching at sort of like triple time and it's, yeah it's ridiculous like what I yeah loved it. <laughs> who what kind of ceremony is this so funny i will say ingrid got a little i think she got a little lost with some of the plot we had to do a lot of explaining because there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of sort of putting on airs to pretend to be one person you know mm-hmm. they're sort of like masquerading as as people that they're not so that took a little playing catch up which i want to go back and watch it again maybe without that right <laughs> uh she did like it though uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, I finally, finally checked the. You remember, like yeah. at the end of the end of last year, I was like, "Oh yeah, over Christmas, I'm going to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." <laughs> that was the one thing I wanted to see. Didn't happen until uh, May. Yeah, possibly because of that, I, I left it a little underwhelmed. I have to say, interesting. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, okay, so this isn't really spoilers, right? So he's made I don't a couple. Think any spoilers in there? Yeah. He's made three movies. That are sort of historical fiction, you know, almost like mm-hmm. reversing a tragedy in the name of revenge. Right. And I was thinking about how, like, I still love Inglorious Bastards so much. Yeah. But, like, you know the Nazis are bad. You see that the Nazis are bad in the movie itself, right? Right. Django, slavery is not good. We see very, very bad plantation owners, DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Yes. So by the time that it gets to those sort of revenge moments of fantastical violence, it feels really satisfying. And and in this one, you don't see the Manson family do any killing because they don't do any killing until the night of this film, you know, uh, right. that, that it climaxes. So it, I don't know, like that ending is something to see. Like, I, again, that's another one I'm not going to forget anytime soon. Right. But it it just didn't like it didn't land to me, and then that sort of affected everything that came before it. I love those two characters; they're great. I yeah. can sit and watch a lot with them. But I don't know. I need to I need to go back and, and check it out now that I kind of know how it's structured and how it functions. I guess it's a very laid back movie for Tarantino. I think it is. It, it certainly is. It really is laid back, and and I can't say that the ending was, you know, 
the ending wasn't that big sort of gangbusters ending that I sort of wanted or expected. Absolutely felt like Tarantino. Yeah. You know, the 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 action, the movement, the cutting, all that stuff, very Tarantino. But yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of a very laid back movie. And I think what I liked about it and what I kind of got into it, and, and I won't spoil this because it was one of the better moments, but the the scene at the Spawn Ranch yeah, and how that played out is kind of what, for me, kind of helped me key into that thing where it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. As you were I saying, Django scene. Unchained and, and yeah. Inglorious Bastards, like they both start out with just like, we are up against horror. We're just up against terror, against evil people. Yeah. And and so it's going to be uh, pretty crazy. Whereas this one is, is the, the way I always took it, at least after I watched it, was just like, man, this is this is Tarantino's best day in Hollywood. The, like the, the best possible day he could exist in in Hollywood. Yeah, this is it. That's fair. Like he fights Bruce Lee and beats him up. He saves Sharon Tate. You know what I mean? Like it was just, mm-hmm. so it's very, maybe it's super indulgent too. But yeah, that was kind of that was kind of my well, takeaway. But a all lot his of good movies are indulgent. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. No... yeah. And on that note, he's he's got to stop with the foot fetish thing. Like oh, it's man. out of control. He, he in does this love movie. feet. Yeah. I mean, there must be like twenty five shots of just women's feet in this thing. It was just yeah. like, okay, dude, I get it. Like stop. Well, and I remember hearing that uh, Margaret Qualley in for that scene in the in the car where yeah. he he asked her to put her feet up there, and they were going to put the camera right on the other side of the thing, and she was just like. Like I'm, I'm a dancer. Like, have you seen my feet? Like, it's not. Yeah. I don't know if like, he yes, wants that please. really big on the screen. <laughs> but sure enough, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he he definitely did. Mm. It's interesting, and I like the way you sort of frame it as like this is Tarantino's best day. Yeah. <laughs> if he could go back in time to when he was young. Coincidentally, like right after I watched, I mean, I just was happened to be kind of reading my way through this collection of essays by Joan Didion, which are all sort of about Southern California so far anyway. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, after watching this that night, I was reading, I was like, oh, she, this essay is about, like, uh, kind of 69 and, and the, the Manson killings. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting the way she phrased it in one part. And she was talking about how, like, I remember the night it happened. I remember all the phone calls that came in, all the misinformation that got spilled. And then she said, I also remember how nobody was surprised. She didn't mean it in the sense that um, nobody was surprised this happened to Sharon Tate or Roman Polanski or anybody connected to him. Right. It, it was kind of just like there was something in the air. It was jittery. It was like a jittery time, I think, is yeah. how she described it. And I was like, man, that is so sort of fascinating. I don't have that sort of historical context to it when I think about like that event. And I've read Helter Skelter and stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. And um, maybe had I read that before <laughs> I had watched the movie, that might have also like informed it. Because it is sort of, like you say, it's just like a day in the life. And uh, here they yeah. are. And then this thing happens. Um, Manson family is all kind of portrayed as hapless idiots in a way. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I sort of like, you know. Well, and and in a way, yeah, like they're they're a bunch of dumb kids, essentially. Like you know, yeah, they weren't masterminds. Well, I'll move on a little bit here. Yeah. I got two more, and we'll take our time with this today, since I think our discussion of the movie may be a little shorter. I, I keep harping on about this guy, but uh, French filmmaker Olivier Assayas. I watched um, Irma Vep, which is a film he has on the Criterion Channel, which popped up on my radar specifically because there was some news recently that he may be adapting that to 
to television with A24. This is like a good, interesting double feature with Day for Night. It doesn't have sort of like the joy of Day for Night, the Truffaut film, but it's uh, it's about like a movie production in France. Uh, but this one they've hired, and actually, uh, what's that guy's name? Antoine Dionel, who played uh, the kid in 400 Blows, who's in so many of Truffaut's movies, right? And was in Day for Night. He plays the director in this movie, which was made in 96. And he's really, really good. For the lead actress in the film they're making, they hire Maggie Chung. Oh. I know, like, I don't know that I've really seen that much stuff of hers. And she's speaking English in this film, and she's just really, really good and kind of fascinating to watch. It gets weird. I don't know that I understand what this entire movie is about, per se. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of, like, just good movie talk, like movie crew set talk and, like, talking shit about Batman Returns and <laughs> stuff right. like that, which, um, and just like Hollywood and things like that. But at the same time, there's stuff that's self-critical about uh, the French movie industry. So that was cool. Recommend it for sure. Last but not least, I watched The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I'll prepare you. It is definitely a different animal altogether. It has moments that skew a little horror, but it's way more psychological. And it's really, I mean, it is a two-hander just throughout, almost as if it's a play. Yeah. So come for the performance. I lo it looks amazing. I, I think it looks incredible. Like it's got the uh, almost square ratio and it's black and white and it looks good. And there's just yeah. throwing water and wind at these guys the whole time. <laughs> Defoe is just killing it. And Robert Pattinson is really, he, he gives like a great performance in this movie. And yet there was something by the end of it. I was like, I still don't know if I wouldn't have cast somebody else for some reason. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's like, it literally, like uh, he's amazing in this. I think he's great. And yet right. there's something that's just not quite right. I really like that guy too. Um, but then I'm like, I don't know. Like I was trying to think of who else I would cast. So I don't know. When you watch it, just ask yourself at some point during the movie, is like, is there anybody else I would cast for that role, and if so, who? And maybe we'll have a discussion on that. Yeah, I will think about it. Uh, but that's it, and that one's on Amazon Prime. If you did not know that yet and have been waiting to watch it, it's there, so go check it out. Craig, what about you? That was my long, long list. Right um, on. I have a much shorter list, and I haven't watched a single movie since the last time we talked. Dang, son. Except I didn't even mention the TV I've been watching. Either, yeah, so. well, yeah, that's, that's, that's Way all i to make I me got. look bad. Thanks. No, uh, No, well, uh, you know, we're, we're catching up on Veep. We're like in the last uh, season of Veep now, mm -hmm. so that's great. Started watching. Uh, oh, we watched the the first season of the show Dave, which is an FX show. You can find it on Hulu as well. It's uh, the guy People raving Dickie. about that. Yeah, I mean that show was pretty amazing. I gotta cool. say, I I went in thinking I was gonna be kind of annoyed if I watched too much of the of this guy. Yeah, and I really wasn't. Very surprising show. It's it's kind of a weird. Uh, flip side of Atlanta in a way. Okay. Where Atlanta, I don't know, is trying for something maybe a little more obscure as as time goes on mm -hmm. uh, and a little more, I don't know, expansive maybe. Like Dave is just uh, a little goofier. But man, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And it can get cool. plenty weird too. And then uh, we started watching Defending Jacob on Apple TV Plus. Sorry. Yeah. Our friends over at a little snack I heard on their podcast host uh, one of the hosts Peter Fedak said that he's not re he doesn't really like defending Jacob the writing's really bad I I don't know I can't fully refute that uh I don't think it's really bad but it's not really something it's not really necessarily like wow this is really something special uh -huh. but in terms of it just being sort of a 
murder mystery courtroom drama it's been pretty fun and then uh and the other thing is we started watching handmaid's tale finally and oh, wow. that show is just bleak and incredible so it just keeps us coming back and and punishing us for coming back over and over again but that's that show is pretty great have you watched that one i have not no i haven't seen a second of it no i need to sit down with it yeah yeah i mean that's the thing there's so many shows i'm I, right now i'm actually just trying because my highlight from the year of teaching I did at a film school and teaching screenwriting was the TV class I had where one of my students said, you're teaching a TV class and you've never seen Avatar, the last airbender, you know? Oh yeah. I'm not sure he quite realized just how old I am, but um, (laughs) nonetheless, I was like, Oh, I got, I got, I got to see this thing. And it it's finally on Netflix. Like I remember looking in the past and it was just like, it's not available to stream anywhere. It just showed up on Netflix. I'm like three episodes in. So I'll report back on that much later. But um, I'm trying to do my due diligence with that because I got called out (laughs) in a big way. I'd love to know. Anywho, should we go down one more time? The Thunder Road. Let's do it. Thunder Road, 1958, part two in our Thunder Road discussion month. Uh, This is, of course, the Robert Mitchum film. Uh, It's an hour and a half long. It's out there on the interwebs for you to rent and stream in various places. And uh, let's see here. We got a crime drama film noir about a veteran who comes home from the Korean War to the mountains and takes over the family moonshining business. He has to battle big city gangsters who are trying to take over the business and the police who are trying to put him in prison. Which, yeah, yeah, I guess that's... yeah. I mean, that's, that's almost every nook and cranny right there. You got Robert Mitchum playing Lucas Doolin. Gene Barry is Troy Barrett, the uh, al- alcohol, tobacco, and was it tax evasion unit? Yeah, tax division. A-M-T-T-U, I think is what they said at the beginning. Must have been the predecessor, and I meant to look that up, dang it, uh, to the ATF. But anyway, right. Jacques Aubuchon is Carl Kogan. Keely Smith plays a night lounge singer, Francie. Uh, who, where am I looking for? Robin Doolin. James Mitchum, Robert Mitchum's son, Sandra Knight playing Roxy, uh, directed by Arthur Ripley, written by Walter Wise and James Atlee Phillips. Craig? Yeah. We know a little bit about this movie. We knew we're kind of in for the drive-in circuit B-movie a little bit, uh, maybe an elevated B-movie. This is all about Robert Mitchum. He composed some of the music. This is his production company. And uh, what'd you think? I'm curious. What'd you think of this Thunder Road. It was almost everything I wanted, kind of until we were getting to the end there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it felt like there wasn't a ton of money to throw around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they had this movie, and they had an interesting setting. They had this, uh, you know, this backdrop of moonshining, and and uh, this guy who's kind of caught between a, a big, a bigger-time thug who's trying to organize all these stills and everything, and then you got all the the feds coming after him. So I liked it a good bit. I think it it really kind of uh I don't know, hit the brakes toward the end there. That kind of bummed me out. Like like the way the end played out was was kind of a bummer, but <laughs> otherwise uh otherwise I I I I enjoyed it pretty much. Uh, what do you think? I think we have one of the rare occasions where I kind of disagree with you, my friend. Oh, oh okay. I got a little little bored with this movie, I got to say. Fair enough. 
I remember the Harry Knowles review we read called it uh, laborious, and I, I found that to be a bit accurate. Mainly, just I found it to be repetitive. I guess mm-hmm. I was long, and I, you know, look, yeah, I know it's B movie. Maybe that's not what people are showing up for, but I found myself craving just like one more layer to this story, sure. and particularly to Robert Mitchum's character. Um, there's basically three women in this film. One of them is his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two, there's some romantic interest from both of them in him, at least. Right. It's reciprocated more towards Roxy than, uh, not Roxy, excuse me, uh, Francie than it is with Roxy. But even like, there's a couple conversations, scenes in the movie where he's talking to both of them separately. And almost like inevitably in those scenes, it turns to just being about him driving moonshine. Like they just, (laughs) there was no moment in this movie I felt like where they weren't talking about that, which, you know, maybe the argument is, well, it's streamlined. It's very focused on one thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree it is. But I think to the detriment of any sort of like story kind of, uh, for me, peaks and valleys. Like I just was longing yeah. for some more crap to happen. Something something else. Yeah. I mean, for sure, it would be more interesting if he had an inner life that included something other than driving moonshine around. Yeah. It's It doesn't seem like that's what makes you the coolest guy in the area. <laughs> you think? Yeah. You, you just you kind of sound like you're a delivery guy. I mean, mm. it's 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 obviously uh, it, it can be dicey out there trying to get that moonshine around. It's deadly. But yes, I a hundred percent agree that anytime the movie stops to have someone go, you should stop moonshining. Oh man, yeah, those scenes were not good, and yeah. I almost wish they'd just forgotten about the, like if they weren't going to go further into any more character development, they could have left those out altogether too. It doesn't seem like he wants to stop. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a little painful. I did think it came a little late in the game for him to say, if anybody tries to turn my brother into a moonshiner, I'll kill him. Yeah. And I think that was like half an hour before the end. I was like, oh, okay, well, that would have been nice to know that you wouldn't, even though you do it and you're never going to quit, you don't want anyone else to do it. Right. That seems like a weird thing to do. Yeah. So I agree. I agree. Not it's not it's not the, the most stellar movie in the world. But I still I, I still liked it. I like the fact that it had I, I, I liked kind of seeing some of the inner workings of the whole moonshining operation. Yeah. I liked I mean I like the photography. It's all beautiful black and white. Agreed. I like the car chases. Actually some of the car chases were pretty surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I liked kind of the spy hunter stuff that happened with it. Yeah, I wrote that uh, down too. Spy Hunter, oil slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can we can keep getting into it, and uh, maybe maybe by the end I'll discover that I don't like the movie either. Who knows? <laughs> well, I want to talk just in the big picture sense. Yeah. Of what I do find fascinating is just imagine, and I won't make you do the elevator pitch this time because mm-hmm. I feel like it's just in the log line that we read. Essentially, I was just thinking about how narrow. The, the demographic is for this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. almost like it's really for people in sort of the tri-state area of uh, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, and then I'll throw in North Carolina as well, obviously, because that's where it takes place. But there's, you know, that corner there where they all kind of meet. And for those people who are also really into cars, specifically Fords, you know. Sure. <laughs> it's just like... yeah. 
That's how did how did these movies get made? I mean, MGM was the distributor at least. Well, United Artists at the time was the studio behind it. Right. Yeah, there's appeal in Mitchum, but I was just like imagining it's like, okay, so like a the drive in in like Iowa, right? Right. Are they like what is it that they're gonna like latch on to in this movie, I guess? I wonder if you have a feel on, do you think it's like the car chases? Because I was actually expecting more of that. And maybe yeah. that's, and obviously it's hard for us to look back and go, yeah, okay, well, this ain't the Fast and Furious, you know? Sure. But there, I'm like you, there were moments where I'm like, man, these cars are flying. Like, there, there's some cool shots yeah. in here. I mean, do you think that's it? Do you think it's just like, you got an actor who's of name? In 1958, this is just what you do. You got a car, you're a teenager, you're going to the drive-in. It doesn't matter what's playing, like you're going to watch it. Or I don't know. Well, I mean, first of all, I think you're right. Like, I I think it's probably not the most savvy drive-in movie at the end of the day. Because it's like, yeah, you've got like this middle-aged star instead of like teenagers who have their hot rods and they're, you know, I don't know, running from a Gila monster, let's say. But I feel like, yes, I feel like it's it's cars, car crashes. I'm, and I'm just looking at the, the poster right now. You've got a shot of Robert Mitchum with a gun and his yeah. face looks like he's being surprised or he's scared, which definitely never happened in the movie. Did not, nope. There was never a moment where he was... <laughs> I didn't even notice that. ...anything less than cool. So, But but the trailer kind of looks like, oh, man, he, this, this guy's going to be hunted and he's going to be uh, in all these car crashes and, and stuff like that. And hey... There are a few car crashes and definitely some uh, car chases. But yeah, I I did kind of expect the climax to, and I guess I guess it was. I guess I, I what I wanted was more of a, I don't know, more of a story behind the final car chase. Mm-hmm. You know, like more of a, this is what I'm going to do and this is, this is how it's going to be done. I mean, it, it kind of was. It was kind of like, well, this is my last run and so it kind of makes the whole thing tragic, but... It would have been nice to have a little more stakes there at the end and, and a little more back and forth with the car chase, which we would definitely do now. I mean, the whole movie would be a car chase now. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can I can agree with that. I I, I mean, I, I think it was probably a near miss on, on, that, on that note. You got me excited, though. I was like imagining a version of this that sort of is like, it starts with it the way it is and it's this veteran who's like running moonshine, but then like something happens on a run and he, he ends up like John Rambo in First Blood, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're just hunting him down in the woods. Anyway. I mean, that would be, you know, it would be interesting, yeah, if it was like, well, we, we can talk about that offline. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it maybe would have been a little neater if he had been a little more under the gun or it seemed like he was worried about something. Mm-hmm. That might have been neat. Actually, I found myself thinking, oddly, about Fear and Desire, the Stanley Kubrick film. Oh, yeah. Which we talked about last season, I think, uh, which was made five years before this and kind of notoriously buried by by Kubrick himself as as something he wasn't particularly proud of and fond of and wanted people to see and extremely low budget. And yet, um, I don't know, there was something to that movie that I I find, uh, I I just found myself thinking, I was like, well, that that one worked for me in in a different way than this one even though this one probably had way more money and it had a Hollywood star. But I don't know. All that stuff is just fodder for discussion, and it's just kind of interesting to me to look at the movies from this era and think about like just how different the movie-going experience probably was, yeah. from obviously from what it is right now, but even from 20 years ago. 
So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I do kind of find it fascinating. And even to think about, too, like what we talked about, like this played in the Southeast until the 80s. I mean, it's crazy. Like it was just. And yeah, to me, I I wonder if that is because of the end, possibly. We'll get to it. But I mean, I'm kind of with you in that it sort of felt like, well, okay, here's this thing that they've been talking about. It's probably going to happen if he doesn't stop driving. And sure enough, it happens. Right. Right. I wonder if that just like if that's different enough that it makes it really stand out from probably some of the other B movies that, that didn't kind of survive as this like continually playing thing. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I like this is kind of one of those it's it's sort of a folk hero movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of a weird one, but yeah, I mean that's that's mm-hmm. a part of it. Yeah, I mean the South as someone who grew up in the South and I always think about that one of those opening shots of Days of Thunder of a barn and it says Charlotte, North Carolina under it. <laughs> there is that thing of like, man, if Home. somebody yeah, if somebody gives you a movie of the South and you lived your life in the South, it's kind of like, oh, hey, they actually decided to really represent us. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And I should say, because before we go any further, look, we talked in the tee up if you didn't listen to it. I, it turns out this movie was shot literally like less than two miles uh, from where I live, at least parts of it. Some of the driving scenes, I'm like, yeah, that could be that road easily. Sure. There's other stuff that it was just too hard for me to recognize as Asheville. I'm, I'm sure like, you know, I could see find photos and do side by side if I knew where to look exactly like in right. town now. That was kind of neat, but I didn't see any like real sort of monumental placeholder things. Anywho. Let's just briefly talk about the plot, and then mm-hmm. we'll get to that ending, I think, specifically. But so what you got here, yeah, uh, Robert Mitchum is running Moonshine. By the way, Craig, how old do you think Mitchum was uh, when they made this movie? So funny. Uh, he seems like he was probably 40 years old from the time he was like 17. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, like like looking at him, I felt like maybe early 40s. Nailed it. 41. Uh, at least go. when the movie came out. I mean, yeah. there's times where I'm just like, God, he looks like if you said 49 or 54, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's such a different look. Anyway, yeah. yeah so Mitchum's here. Um, he's come back from the Korean War. And clearly, his father has been running a still for a while now, and he's a driver. And kind of the talk around town is that he kind of doesn't care. Like, he doesn't have a fear of death. So he's pushing it faster and harder than anybody else is when it comes to driving these things, these shipments from Asheville to Memphis and Knoxville and elsewhere. And because of that, they've started to attract attention, not only from the feds, but from this um, Kogan character who is trying to basically take over for all these families into one sort of like syndicate, I guess, Mm -hmm. to the tune of, I think, about four grand a week. Which they're turning down because I guess the money isn't significantly higher enough, perhaps, or there's pride. I mean, there's a whole scene that deals with it. But still, I was like, damn, four grand. Like, that's... (laughs) Yeah, in 58. Yeah, a week. That's a lot of money. I'll take it. Well, yeah, and that that was the thing. Yeah, so there was this conversation about it. And it was kind of weird because, yeah, it sounded like, well, and you'll get paid the same, maybe a little bit more. And then, and I think the the big strike against it was, if it's a big operation, that means that you know he'll he'll bring the feds down on our heads quicker, and you know they'll see like this big operation or something like that. And yeah, part of me was just like, boy, yeah, none of that does sound very uh, 
attractive might be more interesting if if it'd be a ton of money and they're like no you know even though a lot of money would be great like we're not going to do it i don't know yeah i mean i have a lot of questions about this whole business which we'll come back to but um the implication becomes apparent quite soon after the movie begins that Kogan has also been responsible for the death of one of the drivers from another family in Penland, I think was the last name. It's pretty clear that the statement is, you're either going to accept my offer or I'm going to pick you guys off one by one until you do. That, too, is attracting in even more interest from the authorities. So it's sort of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for these uh, shiners. Craig, mm-hmm. none of which seems to affect Robert Mitchum, Lucas Doolin at all, really, because <laughs> he's just going to drive. He's going to do what he's always done, and he'll carry a gun with him. They're going to tune up this car, this 1950 Ford, and the Thunder Road title comes from how loud the engine is when it comes down the highway, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'd never really thought about, but I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I did like... I think the ballad of Thunder Road was the song in the opening, along with the Whippoorwill. Yeah. Uh, I liked both of those tunes there, and uh, one of them particularly had a Woody Guthrie kind of vibe going on. Yeah. But, I mean, that that's kind of the stakes. There's a fan, like a, a meeting straight out of The Godfather where they're going to discuss whether they're going to, you know, get in the drug business or go to war, and the heads of all these families meet I believe in the basement of a church, perhaps. Yep. Uh, yeah, because there's a church scene going on, and you can hear the choir. They take a vote, and they all agree that they're not going to accept the offer from Kogan. That is the gas burner, and it is increased in temperature throughout the course of the film. Mm-hmm. Mitchum has some run-ins with the sort of pseudo-ATF officer, Mr. Barrett, played by Gene Barry. Has some run-ins with Kogan. And Kogan's men, one of whom was named Lucky, who I don't have the actor right in front of me. But boy, I liked how he lit a match, Craig. (laughs) Peter Hornsby, now I see his name. Yeah. Struck it off a wall from behind him. That was a slick move there. That is always the best. But Kogan doesn't like being told no. All of this is going to come to a head, and it does. But you're right. The meat of this movie, I think, is really in just seeing how this works. Or the mm-hmm. joy of it. And they're taking these cars and they're literally putting in a, a holding tank for the moonshine and like a tap on it and everything. They can unload it. There's a, I think, a quick dump that they put in one of the cars where I, I guess like if they're being followed and it looks like they're going to be captured, they could just dump it all out on the road if, if worse came to worse. There is a moment where, yes, Lucas hits a switch and unleashes oil onto the street, causing uh, some of Kogan's bad guys to go careening off the side of the road. The car catches fire before it before it flips oh, yeah. and then explodes in the river. Cars were basically made of wood and gasoline back then. Oh, my God, yes. They just go up quick. There's even a moment later on, and this maybe you can explain to me. We do meet another shine runner named Jed, I think. Jed Moultrie, yep. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Ryan, who later in the movie insists that he buy the 1950 Ford from Lucas after Lucas has switched it out for another car. Some of it is a, is a, he's saying he can't keep up, like he needs a faster machine because he's going to get caught otherwise. Right. And Lucas is trying to tell him, well, you don't want this one. Like it's our, like the police are already looking for it, you know, and uh, 
Right. He just will not take no for an answer. <laughs> he gets his car, and then we find out later, um, as one of the agents like pulls this, you know, gets into the car with him, basically to either have a conversation or arrest him, and they um, turn the ignition, and that car just blows to smithereens. Oh yeah. Which I guess Kogan was responsible for. And I did like that stuff. You know, they're hiding out the car, working in the, you know, in a barn. And and Mitchum's son, James, who looks considerably younger than him. Yes. And I don't think was particularly great. I'm sorry, James. And, you know, you were young and green. Right. But there's moments where you're just staring at uh, the person who's (laughs) talking to you. And I wasn't sure if you were alive. Uh, No offense. (laughs) That was very offensive. That was not offensive at all. I did like watching them kind of just do their thing and like tweak these cars and like it had a purpose to it, you know. It was like we got to do this, and then you see him drop off the the moonshine in uh, Memphis or somewhere, and he's making sure that all of it came out of that tap because if it didn't, he got caught with a, even a little bit in there. That's uh, two years in jail, I think. Was it? Yes. Yep. Nobody wants to do two years in jail, obviously. Mm-mm. But again, as we've said along the way, Lucas is warned repeatedly. From everyone from his mother, anybody with ovaries for sure is saying, you know, you might ought to get out of oh, this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Barrett is saying, get out of this. It's not you that we're looking for. I want to lead on what's <laughs> going on from Kogan, you know? And yeah. Luke will just not quit. He's not taking that bait. Even at one point, his his uh, brother, again, played by his son, wants him to give it up. <laughs> and uh, he's pretty stubborn. Ends up costing him his life, Crick. It does. It costs him his life. Now, Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Why? He's got every beautiful girl and his mom. Uh, that's that sounds mean. <laughs> every yeah, every, every woman in the movie is like, "This is dumb. You should stop doing this." The authority figure in the movie is like, "I'm, I'm not even gonna bust you. Just, just don't do it. Yeah, like just let's just talk and then just stop doing it. Who cares if somebody gets another tank of moonshine at this point? Like you're gonna stop anyway. Just don't, just don't do it. Yeah." So so when he does finally roll that car, and man, what happens? He hits he hits a he hits a a, a spike strip and yeah goes all over the place and then flies into an, an electric station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, what was why why was that pride? I'm actually not sure exactly what it was that drove him to continue doing that. I think. And I and part of me just is thinking of this now. So hear yeah. me out here. This may go. I I wonder if this is the 1958 version of PTSD a little bit. Fair enough. There is mention in those scenes, of course, the, with the women. He talks about how when he came back, there was a change. Like nothing. Yeah. I don't know if he says that nothing made sense anymore. I can't remember if I wrote down what the lines were, but it's clear he's seen the world differently, and maybe this guy does have a death wish. Like, it doesn't completely come out, and I would have loved to have seen it sort of visualized a little bit differently throughout. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it, it's almost like you need him at some point to just have a conversation with his father where his father is like, look, this is not worth it. We're done. We're, we're over. This is It's not worth getting killed. We got enough money. And yeah. Robert Mitchum, like, becomes Knight of the Hunter. Robert Mitchum is like, we're not getting out of this. You're going to do what I tell you to do, and I'm going to keep driving, Bob. You're going to keep making this moonshine, or you're going to find yourself in the wrong end of a gun or something like that. You know, it just yeah. becomes like total noir. Instead, it doesn't do that. It's like you say, it's like he's playing the folk hero thing. I mean, 
there was one moment, I think it was with Roxy, where she's having a conversation with Jed, and, and he says something. I was like, what? You know, you know, he's not the only shine runner in town. If you want a guy who's got a death wish, there's plenty of us. And she says something like, but there's only one that looks like him. And I was just like, damn. I mean, like, mean it's pretty shallow. It's like, yeah. 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 I was like, well, it's a little bit different. Like, normally it's just, you know, the men are fawning over the women because of how <laughs> they look. You know, here it's like, well, it's at least a reversed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I needed my modern brain to have a little better sense of like, yeah, what is driving him? Like, what, what is the, the, the draw here? Because we don't ever see them do anything with their money. We don't know what they're saving for. He tells his mom, why don't you go buy a new dress? Like, you look like you've been working in a coal mine or whatever. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting, too, because she's like, what do you think happens when I go downtown? They all assume your money's as good as, pay, as counterfeit. Like, they'll know. Like, if I show up wearing a new dress at church, they're going to know uh, where that money came from, and they're going to judge me, and I don't want that. So all that dynamic stuff, I think, is really interesting. Well, and for that matter, do you ever really see the people who are benefiting from all this moonshining in terms of, like, drinking us some moonshine? No. And that actually, yeah, that's what I was like, just really curious about the nuts and bolts of the business. And if they did their homework and that number, that 4,000 a week is really accurate. I was just right. like, who's buying this stuff? Because this is not prohibition era. You can get drunk on other things that are perfectly legal. Yeah. Like, is it that much better than just vodka? You like go down to the store, the ABC store and get a six pack of beer. Like, um, like, what is it about Moonshine that you got to have that they can charge this much or that they have that amount of clientele to, to like, get you 4000 a week? I mean, is it just, was it stronger? Yeah, I, I do kind of sure wonder what the appeal is. Yeah. And, like, I get, they, the film does a good job, I think, of explaining, even through the voiceover at the beginning, like, here's the conundrum. It's like, these people have been making this forever. And the government decides essentially that they want to tax it. Well, you know, they're saying that you can't do this because we're missing out on tax revenue. It sure. is what the, the underlying thought here is. So again, like painting the folk hero thing, like I get that. And I, I bought it. I mean, all the moonshiners are pretty sympathetic with the exception of like Kogan. And I kind of get their point. And even I thought they did a good job with the Barrett character. Like he's not like a complete hard ass on, you know, he yeah. seems a little sympathetic to these people, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, 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 it feels like it's going to require more research than I want to do to like, understand. <laughs> like, yeah, what is the appeal? Like, why that versus something else? Yeah, I don't know. Or risk your life for it, you know, which is ultimately what happens and why. It's... And, and that's really what it is. Yeah, you're risking your life to get this moonshine to someone so mm -hmm. people can drink it. I don't know if it's that important. Yeah, and they're not living like the Clampets in Beverly Hills. You know, they, they just right. live very, very modest, you know, living here. Yeah, aside from the cars, I guess. Yeah. I feel like there was, well, I think Lucas said that, like, his intention, like, before the war was to just stay in this holler his entire life, basically, and, and have his own place. And, and then that all changed thanks to yeah. the war. Mm. Dang, blame government. But yeah, I don't know. Like to me, it, it kind of felt like that was a carrot they were dangling the whole time. And then it just happened. He met his inevitable end. I do like the very last shot. You know, they had already established that when you see the headlights coming towards the houses at night, that they're bringing the body home. Oh, yeah. And so you end with Roxy and, and Robin having this really somber conversation and holding hands, just sort of walking towards the house as these cars are coming. It was a beautiful shot. Really gorgeous, I thought. It is a beautiful shot, but I still couldn't help thinking she was in love with your dad, brother. 
And now she's going for you. You look just like him. Yeah. Son, brother. I didn't read too much romantic in that. Other maybe just out of my I guess own, not. Like not wanting it to go there. So, but there were some things I, I I did really like. I thought the dialogue at times was great. I thought there was like just some nice little sprinkles of local color. Yeah. There was something somebody said about he still got the misery sitting in his legs. And then they they mentioned poison oak salve. And so I'm wondering, it was just like, did they did they call like poison oak rash the misery? Which the misery. <laughs> it is miserable. I had it a few years sure. ago and God almighty, it's terrible. But um I loved that. That was a great line. <laughs> but let me throw this slang on you, Craig. Mm. The mill. I they said that over and over again, and it sounded like they were referencing the engine in the car. Oh wow. Yeah, no, I don't even remember that. Okay, I swear to God. Okay, like, yeah, if you ever watch, watch this again, I know they dropped that several times. I'm just like, what is that? Never heard of that. But there's lots of little stuff like that. I dug it. I mean, there's even a little speech about mountain people that Barrett has at the very end. Um, yeah. So I, I don't want to imply that there weren't things I liked in this movie. I just overall, it didn't quite didn't quite hum for me the way a finely tuned should, I think, perhaps. Oh, that's for sure. I'll say that that another thing that I did like about it was it definitely did seem like there was care taken with the the world that they were in. Yeah. It it definitely seemed like they were at least trying to portray these folks as as not just a bunch of hillbillies, but with some semblance of reality. Yeah, even the stuff where I'm like, okay, here we go. We got guys playing music on a porch and yeah, I don't think there was a banjo for one thing. I mean, they did have the 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 washboard, <laughs> yeah. but um, like sure. the teenagers were dancing to it. It felt totally authentic to me. It versus yeah. something that's like looking down at at the folks. Okay, well, what's your take on Mitchum in this movie? I mean, this is his darling here. So, what do you think of him? I mean, it 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 it's not a role that asked him to do a lot more than look cool. Mm-hmm. And walk around and be sure of himself. And maybe that's exactly what he needed and wanted at the time. He just needs a, a movie where the women are in love with him and he never loses his cool. And maybe he even dies at the end. Uh, that's what it feels like. I mean, it's, it's it's not his best performance, but I mean, I'm glad he's there, I guess. Because at least uh, as somebody acting who, as if they're in control and they're, uh, you know, the coolest guy in the world, he he, he does all right. I liked it too. I I wanted. I wish he had gone like over the edge, like for one scene, right? Like just give him that monolith where he turns into this guy who's got some real darkness to him. And there is that scene where he makes the phone call to Kogan, and it's almost like Liam Neeson and like Taken or something. (laughs) He's like he's basically (laughs) saying, "You threatened my brother, and I'm coming to kill you," and hangs up. Which, again, like, I think Kogan was supposed to be in Memphis, perhaps. And they're in North yeah. Carolina. And I was like, he's going to have a lot of time to prepare. Like, he just doesn't need to be at his house. Like, you know, for one thing, it was like, um, you know, well, good luck finding him. And you just gave him, like, a really easy out. <laughs> but I did I did like yeah. that moment. It felt like uh, like you needed that like moment of badassery from him. Sure. But, yeah, he's, he's pretty vulnerable at times. Uh, in those other scenes where he's revealing a little bit about himself. And then other times you're absolutely right. It's just like he just committed to, I'm going to be a cool cat. To the extent where there was a moment where it just didn't even make sense to me. And that was, there's a scene where he's kind of driving around town. I think it's after he's spoken to Kogan to sort of say, I'm yeah. not doing this. 
the feds are after him and they end up catching him. They, they set up two roadblocks and he stops the car and gets out. Well, he doesn't have any moonshine on him, so he knows like he's not going to go to jail. But he has that conversation with Barrett where Barrett is sort of offering him an out, you know, saying they're not really looking for him. They don't want to arrest him. They just want like a lead on like what is going on that's getting people shot. And this and this and this is going to happen to you if you don't. And of course, Mitchum's not going to snitch. He's not that kind of guy. But he, the line was something about how there's one problem. In order for you to do all that stuff you're going to say you're going to do to me, you got to catch me first. And I'm like, they just caught you. You were in custody, yeah. <laughs> you ding dong. Like, why do you? Th- <laughs> I mean, that maybe he could have gotten away, but like, I'm pretty sure they could catch you if they really wanted to. It's true. It's true. So I wanted a little more from Thunder Road. Of the two, I'm more likely to probably watch 2018s again, but I might put this on every now and then. I won't say I won't. Craig. That's me. Anything that we missed, anything that made you laugh, made you cry, made you love, made you live? Uh, well, well, it's a tall order, but one thing made me laugh was close to the beginning when, uh, when Mama hit little James Mitchum so hard that he literally <laughs> fell backwards from his chair. Like, wow, powerful woman. I don't know why she didn't smack Robert Mitchum around that way. I loved it. I yeah, maybe genuinely laughed. You wow. stole. That's what I was gonna say. That was the one thing I was gonna mention. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was what a strong start. Uh, I mean, the the other con that I was gonna uh, kind of expound on was how when we got to the end. Toward the end, when he kind of goes into hiding, he, he he does this one run where he has to bust through some cars. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not even 100% clear on who the cops were and who Kogan's guys were. Yep. O- outside of Kogan's guys were the ones who were going to shoot at you and the police weren't or something? I don't know. But uh, yeah, that they always seem to know, you know, who, who was shooting at them or who was trying to block the road. But regardless, uh, he, he does that and he gets to the sort of the hideout and he just starts making phone calls. And those phone calls went on for what seemed like a million <laughs> yeah. years to me where he's just he's talk, like it, it seemed like they watched the movie and said, we got to set up this mm-hmm. ending because none of this makes any sense. And yeah, sure enough, he's he's like, what's that? No, I'm fine. What's that? No. Next thing I'm going to do is this. No, here's what yeah. just happened. And, and no, just Ma, like, I'm fine. Man. Yeah. It's just like, but you're yeah, not going to be. Let's just keep moving because. Yeah, these conversations were not doing anything for me. Yep. So uh, I guess I'm pointing out those two things. <laughs> those were what I wanted to say for my my final... Oh, no, no. Actually, no, that's not true. One more cool thing. Okay. Right at the top of the movie, there's a car chase. You can't see who's driving, but of course it's Robert Mitchum, but you don't know that yet. He puts the car into a barrel roll so that he lands on his tires and takes off in the other direction. Badass. I mean, that's Fast and Furious, if nothing yeah. else. I, I had to rewind that a couple times just to make sure I was seeing that correctly because I thought that car was done for. And I thought then the next car I saw driving was a different car. I was like, that can't be. But sure Rolled enough, yeah. that's how good he is. That's just how we drive around Asheville, though. I guess so, man. You guys are very nimble. <laughs> we are. I yeah. want to, the last thing I'll say about it is that the actor who played Ma Doolin was Francis Kuhn. And I would have loved quite a bit more with her i enjoyed her quite a bit and yeah (laughs) Yeah. that moment made me laugh i thought she was great so that's all i got for thunder road i hope people will check out the movie or if you've seen it let us know and also come back next month 
We're traveling in a completely different way. I'm not going to say anything else than that. But I uh, hope you'll join us. We'll do go. some more tee-ups and check out two more movies. And if you have any suggestions in the meantime, we'll let us know. Come say hello. Yeah, Enjoy the end of May, which is crazy. Here we are, halfway through the year almost. Yes. Yeah, amazing. And most of us wishing if we were all the way through the year. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, 2020. Uh, Craig, any yes, last words? Uh, don't be a stampeder, Sean. It doesn't end well. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.